1: Broadcasting live from the Safety FM studios in Orlando, Florida, here is your host, Dr. Jay Allen on Safety FM.
0: This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Safety Focus Moments. They're consultants that want to help you get the safety culture you've been looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoment.com. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. This is Jay Allen. Well, hopefully you've been enjoying your week so far. I know today's Tuesday, so we're going to go ahead and talk about what's coming up here in a moment. But let me kind of cover some information with you. First off, let's start off with... I know we've been announcing as of late that we had a new Google app that came out and a new iOS app where you can actually stream the radio station. We are also now available on Amazon Alexa. So if you go into your Alexa skills, you can now play Safety FM directly on your Amazon Alexa. That just gives you some other options on being able to listen to our show from the radio station aspects, as you are aware we have multiple, multiple hosts on the station. And before it's all set and done, we're going to be adding another one. But let's talk about that here at the end of the episode today, and you'll see what happens. You are about to embark on the journey of episode 55. And this is a journey that we embark on with Mike Saddam. And before we start that journey, let me tell you a little bit about Mike Saddam. Mike has taken education in counterterrorism and public administration to help people understand what drives their behavior and the behaviors of others. Mike's weekly podcast, The Crucial Talks Podcast, provides valuable information on human behavior and has been downloaded thousands of times by people across the world, including the U.S., Canada, Australia, New Zealand and China. Mike is a commander in a large law enforcement agency. In addition, Mike is also a senior advisor for government integration, serves as an accreditation commissioner, leads a multi-agency coordination group, and co-chaired a federal aviation administration rulemaking committee. Mike not only has experience as a leader, he has experience as a pilot, safety officer, and fleet-wide maintenance coordinator. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Mike Saddam here on Safety F- You are listening to a renowned safety expert, Dr. Jay Allen, on Safety FM. Changing safety cultures, one broadcast and one podcast at a time. Join the fun on social media and find us on Facebook at Safety FM. Why safety and how did you get involved?
1: Well, why safety? So my background pretty much started, I was a, I was a pilot, still am a pilot. Uh, I was flying and where I was flying, they needed a safety officer. So I volunteered for that job, but that kind of started me down a path of getting some safety courses and that sort of thing. But during that same amount of time, I was also getting a master's in public administration. So it it let me look at organizational culture. It let me look at failures in organizations. We looked at the Challenger disaster and looked at it from a lens of systems and organizations and things like that. And that's that's pretty much what started me down this, this path of trying to understand safety a little bit better Um, and then really safety for me currently in my job, it's a big part of, of what I am responsible for. But that whole thought of human based systems, I was, you know, I was looking at organizations, I was looking at compliance, I was looking at all these, how the budgets affect it, how organizational culture affects it. And there was always like, there was always something missing, right? I didn't really, I still wasn't wrapping my head around people within the system. It was super difficult for me to try to try to put people into those things, I was researching and studying and learning about, and trying to apply it to legal um, ramifications and accountability and political accountability and professional accountability, and just trying to fit people into that was was just like super difficult for me. So I ended up getting a, a second master's, and of all places, from the Naval Postgraduate School. And it's kind of funny because I tell people this, I said, well, you know, my my podcast is called Crucial Talks. My website is Crucial dot com. And I had to explain to where'd you come up with the Crucial Talks? And I said, well, you know, those those two letters, CT, when I first started down this road and started getting more information so that I could speak to people about it and wrap my head around it, where that final piece came was from the Naval Postgraduate School. And it was in counterterrorism. And that's where those CT letters became so important And I tried to find something I could use that would fit those letters, because what I learned there was a way to analyze terrorist groups without thinking, falling back to, oh, they're just crazy. Oh, they're just murderous. They're homicidal. They're all these things. But it actually allowed me to analyze a terrorist group on why they're so powerful, how behaviors impact people within those groups, the power of in-group and out-group relationships, how people self-transform and start to behave once they adopt identities, how they interact with other groups, how that dynamic is so powerful, how the in-group relationship is so powerful. And what's funny is, it was counterterrorism, right? It's, it's terrorism analysis and analyzing terrorist groups. But after going through that, I flipped it on its head and made it a positive way to look at human based systems using appreciative inquiry, social identity, and self categorization theory. And really it fit. With all that other stuff, budgeting and organizational culture and safety compliance and behavior-based safety versus the new view of safety, all these different things, it, it kind of just wrapped it up for me. And by kind of creating this hybrid in my own head, I was able to apply these things to, to safety and human behavior. You got involved, but you say you volunteered.
0: Was it volunteered or voluntold?
1: It was volunteered. It was they had an opportunity for me to do the safety officer job and I wanted to do it. I wanted to learn more about safety and I wasn't just happy with human error is the cause of 80% of our of our accidents in in aviation. I just wasn't that wasn't enough. I figured by volunteering, by having that responsibility, I would buy by just nature, I would learn more about it. Now,
0: being inside of the aviation group, how did that actually work out? Were you seeing a lot of other pilots getting into accidents or incidents that led you to want to go down this path?
1: No, actually, aviation is, is a fairly safe industry. I mean, there's a lot of redundancies involved. There's a lot of things that we have learned from nuclear power and chemical plants and things like that that actually have made aviation, especially commercial aviation as we know it, Really safe, but to me, I was more interested in okay. So how did we, how did we get here? Why is aviation so much safer? And I put that in quotes than than some other things like uh, uh, maritime industry or construction or something like that. It really allowed me to try to understand aviation safety and apply that in other fields.
0: So when you say aviation safety and then you reference the Department of Energy, would you say that you started copying some of the Department of Energy's information that was out there, especially with them developing the human and organizational performance or back then what they called human performance?
1: Well, I don't know as much about the history of it on who copied who. It was more of the, Where can we learn the most? Where can we learn from other mistakes? Where can we apply systems thinking or other types of thinking to the human machine interface where people are touching machines and having machines do things that we want them to do and understanding that because mistakes are always going to be made. What fascinated me about the whole thing was aviation realizes mistakes are going to be made.
0: And you were back doing the aviation thing how long ago, if you don't mind me asking?
1: Uh, I actually started flying uh, well professionally back in 2005.
0: OK, so you're actually at that particular portion. I mean, we're talking probably about 10 years inside of human performance at that particular portion, at least from the DOE um, standpoint. So were these considered advanced, I guess, advanced information at the time when you were trying to
1: introduce this? No. And see, I wasn't really introducing anything in my organization per se, I was actually dealing with a lot of these other issues that were already existing, right? So in aviation safety, we already had wage, we did business, safety management systems were being used in, um, in airlines and things like that. So a lot of these, a lot of these things and safety for aviation were already there. It's just now how do you apply it?
0: Well, I think it's kind of funny when you kind of look at some of the information that the Department of Transportation is doing right now because they're mimicking a lot of the stuff that's coming from the FAA. And I don't know how familiar you are be with the Department of Transportation, but just some of the components that they're starting to do. And of course, we're not talking about the flying aspect. We're talking about like the pre and the post checks and all that information that's actually accumulated before something actually occurs is a lot of the stuff that you're seeing now with the department of transportation changing especially on the way that they're doing their logs and the logging and everything to that extent and i find it interesting that there's such i won't say copying because that's a terrible word to use but mimicking on how it actually works and when you look at it from a government standpoint do you feel that those things possibly make it safer
1: well, yeah. And I think what you're alluding to is the fact that we are in aviation. We understand that people are going to make, make mistakes. So even if you look at checklists, if you look at checklists and you think about why they exist, because we know people are going to miss things, that the more people do something, the more they could be complacent or that the brain just won't pick up something that they do different. Um, we have these checklists to not only help prevent that, But we also have them there to protect the machinery, to make sure things are done in the right order, to help the human being do it the same way, kind of every time as a framework they can use while still counting on their experience and their education, all these things they do, but still being able to recognize that even though we count on human beings to do it right and and use their experience and all that stuff, they're going to make mistakes. So some of these things that come out of NTSB and the FAA, that's being shared across different domains. Those things have been learned, and, and learning is such a huge part of change that I'm, I'm super glad that DOT is trying to, to capture some of that information and use it in other places. And then let me ask you that question, then. As you actually look
0: at this and you kind of see these different pathways that are actually taking place, at any point, did you ever look at it and go, The actual workers is a problem. Did you ever look at the behavior based safety aspect and go, this might be the better way? Or have you always been, I guess we'll say aligned along the lines with human performance? when you're interacting with people inside of the
1: workplace? Well, I think that my stance kind of came both directions, right? Like the behavior-based safety thing, the whole thing about workers being the problem or, hey, if workers cared more or if workers just learned more or more were more experienced or had the right training, none of this would happen, That has been part of my life also, because, you know, I have a law enforcement background. We're always looking for the negative, looking for problems, looking for people making mistakes. And that happens no matter what. And that's kind of like a human nature thing. But now when we move into this kind of new view of safety where we're we're more along the lines of, hey, why are we? blaming people or naming them, blaming and shaming them. Why are we going down that road when, in fact, if we converse with people, if we bring people in, if we ask them to try to be part of the solution and we we really change our lens from from one of deficit focus, negative focus to one of positive focus and start looking at people as part of the solution. Start looking at the worker, at the employee, at the line level personnel, as that tactical person they have great ideas on how to solve some of the problems we have in organizations. And I just think it's part of, of kind of like this new way of thinking about people as problem solvers and part of the solution and not just like a problem we have to constantly worry about and constantly try to fix.
0: So as you say that, I mean, it sounds so similar to some of the p- things that people say that are heavily involved in human performance and I love just hearing it, I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Who do you look up to inside of that industry by almost, I mean, you're saying the same the same words that some of the, we'll say the, the big names say out there. So is there somebody that you look at that you admire or... Is this concepts that you've learned along the way?
1: Well, one, I listen to podcasts just like yours. Um, This has a lot of great information. I've, you know, when I first started in safety, James Reason was big. Charles Perot, you know, all the stuff he did with systems and normal accidents was big. Uh, Sidney Decker looked into a lot of his stuff. I have, I think, most of his books. And now recently, looking at people like... um, uh, I think you've had him on your show, Todd Conklin, right? He's big into human organizational performance. He's got some great information. I look at, you know, I found some stuff by um, Dave Fennell, who did some work on risk tolerance and factors that impact how much risk people are willing to tolerate. Because it's all, all of that stuff really wraps itself around the the core of what I'm interested in, which is ultimately people as people people as human beings that make decisions based on perception and emotion and not really data. And so when I'm when I talk to people like you about who do I look to or or where do I look for more information, it really comes down nowadays to who can get me a good lens to look through when we're talking about human performance based on what people perceive, how they feel, how they get to the point where they're, they do feel that way and how those emotions actually drive decision-making. Because I am a firm believer that 99.9% of the people out there want to do a good job and what they're doing at the time is what they feel is the right thing to do most of the time. And so that really fascinates me the people out there that are talking about how people are being impacted by the context of the situation, by the environment, by the feelings that are in their in their heads, by by what they are perceiving is the right thing to do. That stuff really fascinates me. So as you look at that, do you truly believe that employees
0: don't actually show up with the intention of doing the wrong thing? Do you look at it as that they always have the best intent for the organization?
1: I, and of course, this is all context based, but I do. I do believe that they are, when they are doing their jobs, when they are performing, when they're doing something, and it doesn't matter to me if it's in an organizational context, if it's in a community context, a family context, relationship context. My core belief is that everybody chooses roles to play in their life. And when they are playing that role, what drives their behavior are the behaviors that they have assigned to that role. that are normal for that role. So if you're talking about a worker, it doesn't matter what's written in the book. If they've been doing it one way for 15 years and they're trying to get a job done and all of a sudden the policy changes or the procedure changes and they're really put under pressure, they're going to keep they're going to do it the way they internally believe that role they're playing is supposed to do it.
0: So you mentioned one of my favorite things. You said policy and procedures. I was recently actually at a meeting and they were having this very big discussion with a lot of people that were involved with human performance or human performance improvement or whatever you want to call it, because, you know, everybody has a different name or a different flavor for it. And during that discussion, they turned around and they said the end goal for some companies would to be would be better saying that they don't have a policy or a procedure."
1: Do you think that that's realistic? I think it depends on the organization. I think some organizations can pull that off. I know that a lot. Of, and, and again, I'm an organizational culture fanatic also like I know that the organization itself has within it all these different cultures, but it's got to be ready for that. Like if you remove policies and procedures, there are people out there that say, hey, look, you could remove all that stuff and it may actually make people safer. To me, it's kind of it kind of just depends because to me, I'm kind of a guy that's like I can I can subscribe to both camps. I can subscribe to behavior based safety. I can subscribe to human organizational performance, the old view versus the new view of safety. I'm kind of somebody that thinks. Both of those things actually hold water, that there's benefits to both. I also tell people that, hey, this old view of safety, the policy procedures, the compliance, the the people watching workers to see if they're doing it right, that sort of thing. That kind of gets us to like the middle of the bell curve. But I think if we really want to go to the right side of the bell curve to higher performance, more effectiveness, better efficiency, and ultimately a safer environment, that's where I think the new view of safety and human organizational performance comes in and that gets us to kind of like the right side of that bell curve. I, I just am somebody who thinks that it, it's not a, a, set, pro, uh, a set program that will get you there. It's not following the steps that will get you there. It's actually understanding the context of your situation, the environment your organization or your team is in to try to figure out where you need to go and what you need to do, because there are organizations out there, I think, could could really, really go a long way if they adopt these kind of newer ways of thinking, when maybe some new people into a space like a brand new transportation company comes online, they want to start driving trucks cross country. I, I think that behavior based safety and that kind of old view will help them at least get to the point where they're meeting basic minimum standards. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, that makes sense. And I think that that's sometimes where some of the confusion comes about, that people don't believe that you can build off of one system to the other. And I really think that sometimes, and I'll say the consultants, and or how I like to deem them sometimes the insultants, depending on how you want to look at it, come in and say, hey, that your system that you're using is incorrect and it's not going to work, opposed to looking at it more along the lines of, we can build off of what you have. And I think that if you take that approach, it's much different than going in and saying, eh, this ain't gonna work, we need to go with this. The other issue that I think that a lot of people run into, and if you take the consulting side out of it, if you have people inside of the organization, and let's say for instance, they were doing behavior-based safety for the last 10 years, we'll just use that as an example. And all of a sudden they come in and they say, hmm, let's go ahead and do the, the flip here and start doing HOP. I think you run into a problem depending on who's giving you the information starting off. And I look at it that it's kind of like when you're promoting somebody from within. If you're inside of a company that has multiple locations, if you have somebody who is on the line level and they get moved up into upper management, some people might not respect that person because of they knew where the person came from. But if you move that same person to a different section in the organization, saying, for instance, a different site location, you might actually have a higher pull based on that. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I would tend to agree with that. It is tough sometimes to espouse these things in your own organization or on your own team where people know you. And again, it goes back to this way that I understand people, which is the roles we play. And it goes two ways, right? We adopt roles as individuals, and then those roles may mean something to us because of the groups they allow us to belong to. But on the opposite side of that, people also assign labels and roles to us. And a lot of conflict happens when those roles don't match. So if one person looks at you and thinks of you as a peer as somebody who they just worked with, but now you're in a higher position and you're trying to change things or do something different, but they don't recognize or label you with that role or see those behaviors, they're going to perceive you not in that way. And that makes it tough. And that's why sometimes it's so helpful to get some somebody like you or some some other consultant to come in or somebody from outside to come in because you bring with it a way for those people to view you so that you can help that organization do those new things. And we'll be back right after this with Mike Sadam
0: here on Safety FM. We have Steve Sisson on the line. Now, let me make sure that I remember this correctly. It's Craig Johnson that you're interviewing this week, correct? That
1: is correct. Craig Johnson with good and tight. Good and tight is a uh, is a product to help companies that have to tie down loads on the back of flatbeds or use a ratchet system. It helps get that extra torque to uh, secure the loads.
0: So, Steve, I'm going to tread lightly with this one. Exactly. What is the purpose of the product? Well, the
1: product is a ratchet uh, extension uh, handle, which allows you to put extra torque on your cargo, on your flatbed trucks, or any time you're trying to secure a load, which gives it extra security to ensure that uh, um, that load is secure and
0: doesn't uh, you don't lose it while driving down the road. Make sure to tune in this week to Safety Talks with Steve Sisson here on Safety FM. And welcome back to Episode 55 with Mike Saddam here on Safety FM. So, you know, the question's going to come up. So we had to get to this point at some point. What happened back in October of 2017 that you said, hmm, we need to put a safety podcast out there? What was the decision behind it?
1: Well, it really came down to I was doing a little bit of speaking in different industries, right? Like I'm a I'm an aviator in a government agency, uh, made it to a higher level of management. And then I started using some of these concepts that I've kind of developed and learned about in other realms, mining and power plants and things like that. And I thought. I only want to do this. I'm not doing it for business. I only want to do it to help people. So I started thinking about well, how do I help more people? How do I get this information out there? So I started writing a book and started blogging all this stuff. And then I thought, well, what's the easiest way? Because there's so much good information out there. How do I bring it in, filter it out and get it out there to as many people as I can? And then the podcast thing came up and I started looking into it researching it and figured it out, hey, it's not really that expensive and I can do this And push information out there that people can share with no cost, with no fuss, with they can just share the information. So it really came from this place of I see value in the things I have learned and and developed, and I want to get that information out there. I want to help people understand what drives other people and what drives them. And from there, it was more of how do I leverage technology to build the network, to grow the relationships, and to get the the information out there to as many people as I can.
0: And how do you end up getting the people that are interviewed on your show? Do they reach out to you? Are you reaching out to them? Is it a combination of both? I mean, you've had quite a
1: few people on. It's a combination of both. A lot of them have come after they listen to it and they feel like they can contribute. Some have been just people I network with and we start talking. We figure out that we're we're aligned generally on what we're talking about, but they bring like a fresh perspective or something that's a little bit different. And we just decide to do it. And it's more of we share this vision of how to understand people and that people are socially driven and emotionally driven. And we we share this notion that people spend a lot of time at work and we want that workplace experience to be better and that we think we can help people do that. And so that's where a lot of that comes from, because if you listen to any of the episodes, they're not all safety people. They're not all CEOs. They're not all authors. They're just a bunch of different people with a kind of a great view on how humans behave and make decisions and communicate.
0: And I think that's such a great aspect on how you do it. I mean, I was listening to one that you had a motivational speaker that was on there and he was referencing that you didn't know a part of his backstory on where when the episode started, at least that he had even claimed that he had been shot. And it was interesting because that's how part of the episode started. It was like, oh, my God. But as you kind of take a listen and it's amazing on how this whole human performance thing can apply to so many different aspects of people's lives. And I think that people fail to look at that. And I know that sometimes we get kind of hung up on, oh, here's a safety show, and they're going to talk about this person's doing it right and this person's doing it wrong. But that's not the approach that you're taking. And it's exactly like you just said. There's so many different people from different areas that come onto your show. It's we'll we'll, we'll say the the quote unquote. It's such a a breath of fresh air because you know people like to say that stuff but when you're actually doing the podcast when it's all set and done what are the days that you release because i've noticed that you have kind of like the long version the short version which i always think that those are great ideas but what is the the release date of the one when it comes out
1: uh, so the release date, I always release the main episodes on Sundays. So what people will see if they go on there, they'll see every Sunday is kind of like the long show, the long version where it will go. If it's just me talking, it might go 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes. If it's me with a with a guest, anywhere from 30 minutes, sometimes up to an hour, depending upon what we get into. And then the those are the crucial talks. And then the little crucial chats, kind of like the mini ones, those Things I try to keep three to five minutes and those I, I'm very honest and upfront in the podcast. I only do those when something strikes me and I don't do them like every Wednesday or every midpoint in the week. Sometimes I'll do two a week. Sometimes I won't do any. And sometimes I'll just feel the the need to get some information out there, and then I'll do it. So there was one I did that I that I started recorder in my car just because I had this thought, and I put it out there as a, a little crucial chat that people could listen to. Um, so those chats are kind of like less regular and and more variable, but every Sunday there will be a, a long form episode. Well,
0: not to give away trade secrets, but I do have a pretty close friend of mine that actually does podcasting and he does minis. And what he does is he'll he'll actually sit around and record like 20 or 30 of them at one time, which I I always kind of chuckle at because I I was like, I don't think I have that much information to disseminate at one time, but hey, better good for him that he can actually pull it off. I cannot do it. I normally do mine. Um, Sometimes we just do them live on the radio station because we do have a radio station aspect of it. So like right now, the conversation that we're having, it's not being streamed live on the radio station. But there's been recordings that we do that will release as a podcast directly live. The other thing is that you reference that you do carry the recorder with you. That's what I think that almost everybody who's inside of this little industry or niche is constantly carrying a recorder with with them. I I have this little recorder that I carry at every organization that I go to and every conference that I go to, because you just never know when you're going to have that golden nugget that's going to pop up and you're going to have the opportunity to do so. So if people want to know more about your podcast, what would you tell them?
1: Well, I would tell them that the podcast is very much about human behavior and human decision making based on three things, which is self-transformation that occurs through self-categorization, the roles we assign ourselves to. I would tell them that it's about group behavior based on social identity, what groups we see others belonging to, how that affects the group we belong to. And then the third thing is a systems view of human behavior which I base on appreciative inquiry and a reason I love it so much is because it's a positive strength based approach to human behavior and human based systems. And that's pretty much what that podcast, those three pillars I can relate basically every single, every single guest I've had on, I can relate one of those three, one of those three areas or all three of the areas on what they're saying. And basically what I'm able to do is take what they're saying And explain why that works so well with people as social storytelling animals, as people that are social, as people that share vision through story and people that can construct reality through story. So that's pretty much the essence of the Crucial Talks podcast is tune behavior, but with a positive strength based focus.
0: And Mike, are you having any speeches that are coming up that are open to the general public if they want to come and see you?
1: Uh, I'm not. My next one isn't even until uh, April where I'm doing. I don't even know if I could put the. It's a big uh, petroleum production company. <laughs> I don't know what else I could say about it, but I don't really have any uh, any yeah, public open to the public speeches coming up. And I will say this, that I pretty much give everything I know for free. Uh, So if anybody has any questions, they can just ask me and I'm always open with information. And a lot of the things I've talked about in organizations doing public speaking, that sort of thing. It's in my podcast somewhere because I'm constantly talking about the same things and live a little different way and explaining things in a little different way so they can look at any of those things um, and really get some good information out of it. And anything that comes up that they have questions about, they can feel free to contact me. I'm completely open um, because I see the power in relationships and human beings doing more together than we ever could alone.
0: Well, I'll tell you, I've been impressed with that because you go directly to to your website, your phone number's right there, and so is your email address. And I'll tell you, and maybe I shouldn't give this away, but I text, I called you earlier today, and boom, you answered. I mean, it wasn't like it went through some voicemail service or anything to that extent, it was boom, 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 and it was you right there. Alive and in living color at the store, at the store, which I'm not supposed to say that either.
1: (laughs) Well, here's the thing, right? It's all about human beings. If I'm going to tell people that the power in human beings is our relationships and how we communicate within ourselves and with others, I got to I got to eat the lunch I'm making other people. Right. So if I'm saying that stuff. There is a certain risk, right? Like a lot of people talk about zero, you know, uh, zero incidents or anything like that in safety. But the reality is, if we're going to be active, if we're going to do things to meet our mission, to meet our goals, to try to gain success, that activity, any activity comes with risk. And I take the same thing to heart. Like when I was doing the website, I could have put a Google voice number up there. I could have made up a different uh, email address or anything like that. But what I chose to do, and it may not make sense with some business folks and that sort of thing, but really what I chose to do is open up the direct line to me where it comes directly to me and that you're not hearing from a virtual assistant somewhere. You're hearing from me. I don't have an auto response. If you get something from me, it's me. It's just, it's me sitting there typing or talking or doing something like that. There is no, there's no middleman. There's no filter that I go through. It's very, It's very much just me doing what I'm trying to do.
0: This might actually stir up some problems going forward, just so you know. (laughs) You might start getting a whole bunch of contacts and go, we might need to get something else out there.
1: (laughs) So far, that hasn't happened. I mean, there's been a lot, right? So far, it hasn't happened. I've gotten a lot of calls and stuff, and I do my best to help people. But what I found is most people, like if they call me and I'm busy or something like that, and I tell them, hey, I get what you're saying. Can we take this up after five o'clock while I'm driving home? And I'll call him back and we'll talk through. I had one guy uh, and I want to go down too much of a different story. But I had one guy asking me, he had heard me speak at a gas and petroleum conference. And he called me and said, hey, look, have you done any work in leading indicators? And I said, well, I, I haven't like created leading indicators for people or i don't really consult on that but if you want to talk about appreciative inquiry and how you can use that to drive your discussions on on leading indicators to help you have a more safe outcome let's do that and then what that ended up happening was we talked about that i gave some great ideas um And I ended up doing a podcast using leading indicators and the movie Top Gun to explain it through appreciative inquiry. So it really all this stuff just helps so many people that I'm willing to do that kind of stuff. If there, And most people have. In fact, everybody has been willing to work with me on that. Like they're willing to wait a couple hours till I'm driving home so we can have 35 minutes to talk about it
0: couple things there number one are you getting ready for top gun Two? is that the reason why you made the reference to top gun one that's the first <laughs> one and then the second thing is if the national safety council is listening to this podcast that we're doing together they're going to tell you that you're in the no-no zone in regards of actually taking a phone call while you're actually driving Just throwing that yeah, out there
1: yeah <laughs> yeah i know and that's the thing right like we have the hands-free law i'm talking on the phone and i you know, i mean who are we talking we're talking to safety folks right these are the people that know that that being able to to turn your attention from one thing to the other is completely false. Right. You can't do that. However, um, things are risky. Right. And if we realize there is risk to everything we do, how can we apply that? So if I am talking on the phone when I'm driving, you will notice uh, if you're riding with me. Is bright lane, and there's more than four or five car lengths between us. And I go slower. I, I increase that ability of myself and the system I'm in—that car and the phone and all this stuff—that actually increases the capacity I have to deal with something bad happening. Because we all realize something bad is going to happen, and safety is really that ability to absorb that bad thing happening without anything really bad happening. That's a really
0: good technical answer. I had to tell you (laughs) the other thing that I wanted to throw out there. Can you really have four cars in between one car and another in California? I I don't know if I'm buying that one.
1: No, you can't. You (laughs) just got to keep slowing down, right? Like you just have to continually increase your safety cushion. It's something you just got to remind yourself of, because if you leave that amount of space in there, somebody will take it, whether they have to or not. So you just realize that, let them go on their way and, and increase, that that following distance, so that you maintain your your capacity for safety in that system in the context of that environment you're in.
0: And that was Mike from Crucial Talks Podcast. I appreciate you coming on to Safety FM.
1: Well, thanks a lot. This was uh, this was fun. Uh, I don't get to be the guest that often. So anytime I get a chance to, it's really awesome. I enjoyed every minute of it. and Keep doing what you're doing because I have subscribed to your podcast. I listen to it religiously. So keep doing the good work. I really had a good time doing it. And I'll keep listening to yours. Oh, thank you.
0: <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed the episode with Mike Saddam. I have to tell you, when it was all set and done, after listening to Mike, I was so intrigued about what he had to say that I made him an offer. And starting this week, Mike Saddam will be part of the Safety FM network. So if you're going to our radio station, where we stream live... You can go to safetyfm.com or safetyfm.live or the apps that we actually have available on Google Play, iOS, and now Alexa, and you'll be able to stream the Mike Sedam Show, Crucial Talks, here on Safety FM. Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I have been your safety manager and host, Jay Allen, and until next time, be safe.